Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Ask Unity podcast, episode 23. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, performance. Beck Hill is an Australian comedian who moved over to the UK to pursue comedy about five or six years ago. She's probably best described as an alternative comedian. She does uh, a lot of different things like puns and storytelling and clowning and this really cool thing that I've not seen anyone else doing called paper puppetry which I will link to in the show notes of this podcast it's so cool it's like moving stick imagery not even just stick they're just moving cartoons that she on stage live like makes come to life to the beat of music or to audio voice so it's really hard to explain in audio form You'll have to just see it. It's amazing. And we get into, like, why she does that, how having a gimmick can be, like, a really good thing to make you memorable, how she operates on the circuit and manages to avoid a lot of the big chain clubs because it doesn't always work there and so seems very little point in trying to work rooms that don't work for something you're doing if you're doing something completely different to what those rooms necessarily require. We also talked about running a themed comedy night because she runs the Pun Run, which is, uh, as far as I know, and it's marketed as the only pun-based comedy night in the UK, and uh, the value of having a day job. Something that is often seen negatively by early on comedians is, oh, I have a day job, it sucks, I want to do comedy full-time. And I have a day job, and I really love the routine that my day job gives me right now, and also the stability of money. Yes, it gets in the way of gigging sometimes, and yes, it gets in the way of me taking some opportunities that I would like to do, because I don't have nine hours a day to do those things, because I'm stuck at a desk. But they do have plus points, and I really loved her upbeat way of looking at having a job in the early stages of your career especially when you've just moved country and you're trying to establish a base of people but also trying to find your own comedy voice and she's just she's just really upbeat we also talk about the secret of being happy because she's if you've ever met her she is one of the happiest people almost annoyingly happy sometimes and i've told her this we're we're quite good friends i i hope she doesn't mind me saying this it's like because she's just so happy I don't, like, I I wish I was this happy all the time. And she talks about how she remains happy, regardless of when bad things happen or when life gets stressful. And 
she's just so lovely and amazing and she's also doing a show at the edinburgh fringe this year called beck hill caught on tape it's at the turret room at the gilded balloon and it's at 5 30 every day and i'll link in the show notes for where you can find uh like if you want to go and see that honestly i saw her show last year and it was amazing it was just outstanding and it won an award and if i i think it's going to be better this year no pressure there beck but just go and see her and if you don't if you can't go and see her in edinburgh and you're having trouble going up there or you just don't have time or you don't think you want to pay for a ticket or whatever me and her are doing a preview on the 12th of july at 7 30 p.m at the dog star bar in brixton so if you can come down to that just as good and it's free it's donations at the end so you'll get to see both of our shows and sort of kill two birds with one stone also there'll be a link to that in the show notes so please check that out also just a reminder my show uh, buddhism and cats is also on at the edinburgh fringe it's a free fringe show it's on every day it's at just the tonic caves not at cowgate head I need to keep telling people this because I'm really annoyed that I don't have an accurate listing in the program. But my show is not at Cowgate Head. It is at Just the Tonic Caves. I was the act that lost out on their venue because of the whole Freestyle PBH thing. So please come and see me because I am low on marketing money. In fact, I have none and I really need to make audience come to it. And at the moment, they're all being redirected in the wrong direction to the Cowgate Head venue. So if you can come, it's at 7.30 every night. It's a free fringe show. I'm only not doing the 18th and the 24th. So, yeah, that's great. Really quick things before I hit play. The usual stuff. If you're enjoying it, please leave it an iTunes review. We're one off 30. Really want to get over 30. You have no idea. So if you can do that, feel free. If you can write a little description out, that'd be amazing. It doesn't take very long and it really helps out the show. Uh, if you can share this link with anyone who you think might enjoy it or might get something out of it, that'd be great. It really helps expand the audience of the podcast. Don't forget to tag me in any of the places you share it so I can thank you for doing that. It means the world when you do it. Also, if you thought this podcast was worth anything or you've listened to any of the episodes previous to it and you thought they're worth anything, please do chuck me a donation over PayPal. You can do that on the website, which is simoncane.co.uk forward slash ask the industry podcast and finally if you're enjoying this series and you'd like to support it on an ongoing basis please do join up on patreon that's patreon.com forward slash ask the industry podcast really helps out i'm so grateful to all my patrons hello to jim daly who is the latest patreon to join the group of patrons i really appreciate you donating some money thank you so much for that if you'd like to hear your name shouted out in the podcast please do join up and that will happen it's one of the perks of joining up to the patronage. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sharing. Without any more delays, this is Beck Hill. Uh, what is the secret to being happy? Um, a coffee, like a good coffee percolator that makes like about six cups. I find that six cups a day means that you have spares for if people visit or anyone you live with but also enough for at least two to three cups for yourself it's like loads of caffeine that makes me happy uh also i'm addicted to it i went for three days once without having coffee like by accident and then i had such a bad headache that i thought something was wrong with me and was contemplating calling a doctor had a coffee in the meantime it went away and that's when i realized i'm an addict yay substance addiction um I was going to say, I've just realised what the other thing was. 
Sometimes I'm specifically quiet just to make my editing easier. Yeah, That's yeah. I'm, I, I am not. No, no, no. I, yeah. I, I, I know. We do a podcast as well. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Go on. Uh, no, I don't like my answer. I'm going to change. What is the secret to being happy? Um, I might leave in the first answer because that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the secret to happiness is n- not underestimating people. Always give people a chance because then they'll surprise you. And when they do, that is always a source of immense joy. And uh, when you're su- when you're pleasantly surprised by people on a daily basis, it's hard to be sad. That's really nice. <laughs> I was expecting something like, "Well, if you gig hard," <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like those cliches. But... Yeah. Well, I could, you know, I could go down the obvious route and say, uh, "Well, obviously, having a face is very helpful," mm. but uh, I'm also not going to be that arrogant um, or. Or make anyone who does not inherently feel a faith uh, feel uh, like they're wrong. I don't like making people feel that they're wrong. So when you say, do you mean people like other performers or do you mean audiences or do you mean both? Everyone. Okay. Yeah. So has that like inform, does that like inform your comedy? Like because you, cause you like rely on people and you sort of have a support network there or is that like a... Uh, um... I just mean in general, I guess. Uh, like, in a way, everything informs your comedy about who you are and, and how you you deal in life. Um, you can't live too much in the comedy industry because then all your comedy becomes comedy industry-centric, which means you only end up performing for other comedians and uh, vice versa. And it's very difficult to make a living from that because there's not enough comedians to make money from. <laughs> Yeah, I get what you mean. There's not enough profiting comedians that can support a comedian who's a comedian's comedian. Yeah. <laughs> that's what <laughs> no, makes right. sense. That's yeah. the name of your next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> profiting from comedians. Oh, no, I'd make a massive loss on this. Um, <laughs> please donate. Um, but um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Because I mean, we, we've talked at a different time about how you sort of don't do the regular circuit. Mm. Because your brand of comedy, we can presume people have seen who you are, who are listening to this. But do you want to maybe describe how you would describe what it is in case one of them hasn't? Yeah, um, it's really eclectic because I've got very short attention span. So I, <laughs> I'll flip from styles of comedy quite quick. Not like you know, I don't. I'm, <laughs> I won't like go into a Chris Rock routine or something like that. Like I'm still, I've, I've, I've stay fairly whimsical with dashings of dark I suppose because every now and then a bit of dark comedy is is fun um but uh yeah it's kind of storytelling uh, observations puns and a lot of visual stuff so I like flip chart comedy I like prop comedy um paper puppetry paper puppetry yeah, yeah I love that name thank you yeah I like it it's just, it's the alliteration I think yes that's yeah. exactly the reason I like it so that's quite cool because um, so, you were saying that you don't do uh, I, I, I don't want to describe it as a regular circuit but you, you essentially yeah. stick to nights where that works yeah well as a rule I won't gig anywhere unless the uh, unless it's something that I've specifically asked to be on at because I've been to that night and I think I would suit that sort of night uh, or if the person booking it has seen me um, and they know what they're getting. I don't like doing nights where people have booked me just on the basis of the fact 
that they're, they're looking for a headliner because you could get anything if you're just looking for a headliner and chances are the audience might not be up for what I do. Um, actually, it might, I don't know, it might be weird to bring this up, but someone actually um, put a post in a, there's a similar forum to uh, to the Comedians Collective. Um, uh, it's nowhere near as successful, obviously. Um, and uh, obviously, and someone has said they're looking for female headliners in Edinburgh um, for a variety show, you know, that they're doing. And but then it said, uh, no flip charts, no ukuleles, no festival funny, and then in brackets, e.g., TED talks with no jokes, which Whoa. I thought was festival funny. I thought was a really weird way of putting it, considering it has the word funny in there. Um, but I guess what they mean is like anything that's too heavily themed, yeah. and I understand that. I get that was a that was something I had to learn very early on which was if you write a show that's too heavily themed it's really hard to do it in night like in in uh, comedy clubs yeah but um yeah they'd be very specific about that and i put like a smart ass comment just going oh i'll do it. oh wait never mind you know yeah. um because of the flip charts thing but i also kind of admire the fact that they were so honest about like this is what this is the sort of people that we want to book for our night and uh and so instantly i knew not to waste my time or theirs because um, then their audiences won't like me and probably vice versa. So um, I just try and stick to doing what I, rooms that I want to do. And thankfully there's enough starting to come through the, the woodwork now to support me. Yeah, that makes mm. sense. No, because it, it, what you do is so unique that like if someone says to me, like, you know, who does, who's, you know, creative and who does something a bit different or whatever, like I immediately think of you because you like do something that's, not like the, the people have done flip charts before and stuff but mm. the the moving ones yeah yeah if anyone ever did that you know it'd be, it'd be me like oh but beck does that kind of thing yeah and i have had a few people say oh um so even if just flip charts with no moving bits although someone i know did a flip chart that had sort of revealing like panels on it so it wasn't it wasn't right like the style that i do but it just had little extra bits that they'd added to it and um and apparently someone had said to them You've seen Beck Hill, right? <laughs> and uh, and I can't tell anyone that they they can't do things. I don't, I don't own um, what you know. The copyright. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's you can't own the sort of a style. Um, so I what I have to do is make sure that I'm always the best at what I do, so that if anyone comes up and starts doing something similar, that I'll always be ahead of them. Uh, so that if they had to choose. I would get those gigs. Yeah. Um, I suppose it helps at the moment because you are the only one. Yeah, it <laughs> you helps are a lot. The best by default. Yeah, and I think I would feel so. It would be. I can't. I can't say I wouldn't feel bitter if I if I heard that there was someone else. And one thing I am terrified of, which I've only just realised recently, is getting older and then having uh, a younger, uh, like super adorable girl come up on the scene with way more jokes than me who also does pop-up flip charts which are way better done than mine like so if that happened I think I would just be terrified because everything I've been working like I at the moment I have the the luxury of going at my own pace because I'm not in competition with anyone so I can make mistakes and I can take as long as I want to get good and and improve but if someone were to come on and get really good really quickly who was comparable to me I would suddenly have to 
I don't know, Put rethink what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, so I try, I try to pull my finger out now. I try to to work hard now so that if that does happen, I'm already ready for it. Yeah. And, you know, what's the worst that'll happen? I'll get better quicker. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn trying hard. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting, though, because, like, the fact that you sort of know... I don't want to say you're a niche, because ni- I find comedians in particular recently have been using the word niche to describe something not funny. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, oh, there's like a niche reference, and they'll be like, "Wasn't it? No, it just wasn't funny, right, or whatever." Yeah. You know. So I don't want to call you niche, but you've got this sort of market segment mm. that means that you sort of feel like you can go at your own pace. Yeah. Because I, I know I'm, I'm not in that kind of area. I'm not really in. I mean, I, I do you know what I mean? I don't know how to describe that without making myself sound really like downing. But do you know what I mean? Like I'm just a stand-up. So I know I'm competing with a lot of other, like not not necessarily on material and topic-wise, but you stand out a lot for loads of other different reasons, which means yeah. that if someone came along, like you said, like a like a cute younger woman came along and started doing flip charts, you'd kind of, I mean... I'd be out of my comfort zone all of a sudden. And I think, and I, I hate to refer to what I do, the, the style and stuff that I do as a gimmick, because I think it's more than that. But if we were to simplify what we're talking about... Um, a gimmick is very helpful. And I, I always say if, when I've I've got so many friends who should be much higher than where they are because they've their jokes are exceptional. They work really hard. They're just solid writers and performers, and I can't understand why they're not getting better gigs. And and I always say to them, get a hat. <laughs> be the guy with the funny hat. <laughs> At least then you'll stand out. They'll go, which one's that? The one with the hat? Oh, yeah. We'll book him. Do you, I mean, do you think, do you genuinely, is that a joke or do you genuinely believe that in a Maybe way? Maybe not a hat as such, <laughs> but a gimmick does help. And it sounds horrible. Um, but yeah. that's obviously been something that I've found personally. And maybe it may, like either, uh, it could, either it's just a gimmick or there's an element of, uh, of talent that I have that I, hopefully I'm too modest to acknowledge but I don't think it's that I think it's I think it is mainly a gimmick um that has helped me get to where I am now that's because because for me I've been trying to work out how I can not look like every other middle class white guy on the stage get Do you a know hat. <laughs> if you guys see me walking around the circuit wearing a hat that's yeah. that's it's can special. we do an interactive part of this podcast of people like tweet and say like suggest it like simon's hat hashtag simon's hat hashtag simon's hat also because it looks like simon shat when <laughs> when they put so right. hashtag simon shat simon shat hashtag simon's hat and then just suggestions of types of hats we could get links to like ebay yeah like novelty hats <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. And your, don't forget to... your Simon is cool, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm This Made Me Cool. Oh, This Made Me Cool, And you're sorry. a B-chill comedian. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to be looking at how things That's are misspelled. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so if you want to take part in remodelling me, no one's going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, all right, go on then. What kind of hat you think I've got at least one person who will listen to this podcast when it comes out. It'll be John. Oh, Gav. Yeah. No, not even. Gav doesn't even listen to my podcast. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't listen to God's comedy. Well, he's lame. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's because he has to put up with me talking all the other time. So the last thing he wants to do is, in his alone time, listen to me ramble on about... On a, like, a recorded... Films I've seen and whatnot. Yeah. It tends yeah. to be where we go off on tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. One quick question came out of what you just said, though. Mm-hmm. Um... You said that they were listing, or oh, they want female headliners. 
Do you ever get annoyed when that gets listed? Well, uh, it depends. I think I I don't mind when they're doing it because they've, for whatever whatever reason, already had a lot of male. So it could be that they're trying to do a 50-50, like male and female headliners. And I agree with that because we have a 50-50 population. And um, it's not our fault that there is a smaller ratio of women doing comedy. So if, so to get 50-50... If if any, if there's anyone out there annoyed that women are getting potentially slightly more opportunity in terms of chances and like if we're talking mathematics, um, because there's less of them, uh, then the answer to that isn't to stop booking women. <laughs> the answer is to have more women doing comedy so that there is a bigger variety so they're not having to choose from the small option that they have right now um and the only way to get more women doing comedy is if more women see women doing comedy and go oh that's an option uh and then yeah so i I think that that's key i am against female only lineups specifically for the sake of being female only because i don't think that female is a genre and i do think that that is sexism i'd be pissed off if there was a male only lineup so when I see female-only lineups and they're very, spe- you know, sometimes they happen by accident and that's brilliant. And sometimes all male lineups happen by accident and that's fine. Like, sometimes that happens. Uh, but when when they have those nights where they're like, it's an all-ladies night. And it's like, ah, oh, you wouldn't advertise that for men. So why would you do it for women? But I think if people are specifically looking for a female potentially to even out an imbalance, then yeah, go for it. Do you feel the same about the award then for female comedians? Like funny, funny, funny. Or, uh, I oh, can't remember yeah. what it's called. Yeah. Uh, is there one for funny men? Not specifically. I don't. Well, Not then I, I don't like the idea. I think if there was one for funny women and one for funny men, I'd be fine with that. Like the same, oh, you really? get. Well, yeah, because you get best actress and best actor. You don't oh, get like okay. just best. Well, should best actor could technically be male or female, seeing as now actor means both. Yeah. Um, but no, they still have best male and female. So if they're going to do that, um, if they want to do a best female comedian, then at least do a best male comedian. I think the only the only problem that that then serves is when you start to get to people with um, different takes on gender identity. And that's when it gets really tricky um, yeah. as to, um, you know, people who uh, see themselves as the other gender or neither gender. And then it's like, oh, a whole new kettle of fish. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe the answer is that we should just change the Oscars, uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then I won't have an argument for just one type of comedian award. Yeah, there was a really interesting. They they released a new pack of emojis recently, and there was a whole thing online where people were complaining that you couldn't have like uh, interracial couples because like the the reason they released this pack was because you couldn't have gay couples. So you couldn't have woman woman man man. Right. And now they're going, oh, you can't have... So it literally keeps going, doesn't it? Like, it's never going <laughs> to... Oh, I can't believe there's not a symbol for this. Emojis are ridiculous. Like, I've already got a joke about it, but I basically <laughs> say how emojis... Like, the Egyptians wrote in emojis, so I don't see why anyone's so fussed about them now. Yeah. Like, they had all of the symbols for everything. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. like, oh, It's this new thing. It's, it's not. It's not. If anything, we're behind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the punchline to that, if anyone's wondering, is to do with tablets. So uh, don't <laughs> don't message me and tell me what I can use. I already know. 
go, 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 see, go see her show. What's your show? Not called? in this show, actually. Oh, is it not? Moved, that's why I'm happy talking about it on the podcast. Oh, okay. I'm moving it for next year's show. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you do, right, you, I mean, I might be wrong with this, but you seem to split your time quite a lot between doing open mic stuff mm-hmm. and paid stuff. Yep. And it feels like you do a lot of emceeing on the open mic as well. Mm. And you do, but you also do that for like new material and probably show generating stuff. Yeah. How hard is it to split your life between like circuit stuff that obviously pays the bills immediately, like in the short term, and putting together a show that obviously you don't know if it'll ever make money, especially when you go to someone like Edinburgh? Yeah, I guess I don't view the shows in Edinburgh are what keep me going. So my goal every year is to write a new hour show. Um, uh, And if I don't do Edinburgh, I'd still need to write a new hour and debut it somewhere. Um, But every year I try and write a new hour long show. So, But by keep going, do you mean like morally or as in financially? Oh, no, morally. Like what keeps me going in comedy is always writing a new hour. I don't think I would enjoy comedy if I was doing the same stuff over and over again I think I would get tired I mean after I've I'm almost over my show by the time I've done Edinburgh and I've only done it for a month but by the time Edinburgh's done I'm like right it's time to start writing new material um there's some acts out there who make their entire living from touring the same show for years and they love it and it just gets better and better and I take my hat off to them they're obviously doing what they love um annoyingly for me it's uh, I'm just not happy just doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, I get itchy feet. So for me, I've never thought about like, oh, I need to spend more time doing paid gigs or, or I need to spend more time. Well, actually, no, I could always do more preview previews, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of I just do what comes like if I get booked for a paid gig, I'll do that. If I get booked. You know, I will obviously take a pay gig over. If I get offered a pay gig when I'm down to do like a five minutes and open mic night, I'll take the paid gig. Um, but generally speaking, the only difference I've noticed is um, swapping between modes. So whenever I do a paid gig or if I'm ever listed as a headliner or anything like that, I'll always do the best set possible. I very rarely try out new stuff in in paid gigs, no matter how little they pay. Um, I generally won't put anything new in there because if I'm getting paid, I'm going to give them the service that they've been paid for and give them something that I know works. Uh, sometimes if I'm doing, if I've done a bunch of those and then I go into an open mic night, the idea of doing something that's not solid, it takes me a while to get used to that again and not freak out about maybe something not working yeah (laughs) um so it can be hard and that's why I started doing so I I didn't actually do them that much for ages and it was only in the last couple years that I started really throwing myself into um there's uh the the freedom the lovely freedom fridge uh which is which is technically like kind of my local I call it it's a bit further up the road but um if I can I'll always emcee that because it it forces me to do new stuff and allow myself to fail occasionally 
Well, she's going to hang out with Rufus now. So They're not doing it at the moment. What? They should hopefully be back. I don't know what, whenever this podcast goes up. Hopefully they'll be back. They're recording the third season of Man by Cow. Oh, that's right. That's so fine. So it's okay. That's yeah, fine. we forgive them. Andy Youngins is running at the moment. He's oh, a really? lovely man. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. he's lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I love Rufus now, though. They, they gave me, like, one of my first ever spots when I was just starting out, like, the... the Torianos, so I've got yeah. like a really well. Special... That's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're they're um they're lovely. They're very supportive. They're um they they're good good blokes. Good, good people. The other reason I like doing open mic nights though is because um quite often you'll see someone who's only just started smash it or like come up with something you never considered or you know just little asides. And I won't lie, some open micers that that that'll be the one time they gig and you'll never see them again or they realise it's not quite for them. But when you see those ones that are really good and they actually make you go, oh, I wish I'd thought of that, or, oh, that's so much better than... I was thinking something similar, but they've put it so much better than me. Um, Nothing forces you to kick your ass into gear more than seeing someone who's been going 10 years less than you uh, (laughs) to smash a gig. So, yeah. Um, yeah, again, it reminds you, oh, got to up my game. <laughs> Especially a hard gig to maybe, like, six other comedians and two friends that have dragged along. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you, I mean, like, whenever, uh, this is me bigging you up a little bit too much, probably for your own ego, but whenever <laughs> whenever some new comedian asks me, where should I go first? I always say, Google where Beck is emceeing, because you are just the nicest MC. Oh, bless every, you. <laughs> well, you are, just every new act that I've ever sent that way. And like it, you just you just have a welcoming thing about, it. and you're always really nice, and you never like like bring them up in an awkward way or anything. Yeah. So it's just yeah, I I always. I think that because I I I emceeing terrifies me. In all honesty, I shouldn't admit that on this sort of podcast because it might affect the amount of gigs I get booked to MC for. And I think I don't really put myself out there as an MC, but I keep getting booked as one. And so I figure if I keep doing the, the open, this open mic night, if I keep emceeing Freedom Fridge and stuff like that, that at least then when I do get the paid ones, I can give them, again, a service that they've paid for um, and make sure that I'm comfortable. I've still not quite gotten good at the banter yet. There's still a um, – there's some – you'll see some MCs. And they just don't do material. They just go up and chat to the crowd and it's still funny and warm and affable. And I think I, I've i had too many times where I've gone to do that and failed that that I, I feel 100% comfortable doing it yeah. still, which is why I keep doing the overnight nights and forcing myself to talk to people. Um, but the thing I do, I have learned from emceeing those types of nights is to remember that it's not about you. And if you're booked to emcee, then your book there to keep the night running. So if the night's running over time, well then, and I don't care how much new stuff you had to try, you got to bring out all those other acts because otherwise everyone's going to be stuck there till half 11. So uh, it's about uh, learning to give the audience and the other acts what they want over what your original intentions were. It's really good advice for MCs. Oh, well, it took me a very long time to learn that. So hopefully it'll help someone yeah. much earlier than uh, than I probably uh, should have received it. Well, no, because a lot of them, a lot of especially newer acts, maybe in their first two years. I know I started a night in my first two years. Mm. And uh, I remember the first gig we did, or well, maybe not the first gig, one of the first gig we did, we overran because we were just like, oh, everyone can do 
the time they want to, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. And you're just sort of like, oh, we can't do this every, you know, yeah. couple of weeks. It's ridiculous. And you I sort of realise. I think the learning is easy. Oh, well, the other, I think the other reason, because um, I, I obviously run Pun Run as well, mm. and I MC that one. I, I don't MC it as much now because I tend to have gigs elsewhere. So I, I get lovely Darren Walsh to host those ones. But um, when I can, I'll host it. And that, I can see I can play around in that one because it's my night yeah. and they're my people. So I feel less self-conscious. Um, I just wish I could transfer that confidence into to other shows. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of mistakes we make when we first start doing it. And I certainly, like the first pun, the first pun run, we had 21 acts on. I mean, that thing went for forever <laughs> it was yeah. yeah i learned very quickly um what what the uh ins and outs were of, of that sort of timekeeping oh definitely definitely mm. yeah i mean i i've done the pun run and i love it and I said, i'm gonna ask you this instead because I was, I was gonna ask you about your comedy course we can come back to that yeah because it was, i was gonna yeah, it's gonna be weird to edit now um but yeah uh so yeah the pun run why did you start that? What was your? Did you just want a night and you sort of because you because a lot of your shows are themed as well, like in mm. Edinburgh and stuff. So was it just another like you were like I want a theme night that I run because then that can extend my audience, or was it like no. not that conscious? No, I no, not at all. Uh, and that's how I know that you're you're so engrossed in the industry because I would never have even considered that as a, as a way of um, stretching out my audience. It was purely because. I tweeted a lot of puns, which never worked in my actual sets. And I thought, I'd like to tell these puns on stage, but I can't because people at comedy club don't like... No one likes to be surprised by a pun, right? No one wants a pun they're not expecting. And so I thought, I'll put on a night and I'll do my puns and I'll book a bunch of other acts. And then and then we thought of calling it So You Think You're Punny. <laughs> and we're nice. like, we'll make it a competition. And we turned it into a competition, and that's why there were 21 acts, and we had a judging panel. We had Alexis Dubas and I think Andrew Neal and uh, Norman Lovett. Um, Yeah, which was great. And I'm a huge Red Dwarf fan, so I was very excited by that. And it was in the Camden – what's now called the Camden Comedy Club, uh, which was the the Camden Head down in Camden High Street. And uh, so we had, like, everyone – like, half of the audience were judges and comedians, but then there'd been such a – I'd advertise it not expecting much and Time Out listed it and we had to turn people away. We had this massive queue of people actually wanting to watch and I couldn't believe that. It seemed like such a stupid thing. And I also got loads of email. The reason we had 21 acts is because so many people kept emailing me saying, I want to do I want to do my puns. And I was like, whoa. And eventually I had to start saying to people, I, I can't, there's too many acts on, I can't put any more on. Um, and then at the end of the night, despite it overrunning horrifically, audience members were coming up to me and saying, oh, that was great, when's the next one? Or emailing me the next day or Facebooking me and going, oh, it's going to... And then I, so I had both punters and and comedians contacting me, asking me when the next one was. And that's when I realised, oh, I think I should turn this into something. It was never... It's still not really a money-making thing. Um, I, I do it just enough to pay um, everyone involved, including the acts, uh, enough... <laughs> that we all feel it's worth it but it is very much a labour of love mm. Mm. And have you found that that 
See, again, I'm, I'm industry-driven. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, but that's what the podcast is no, about. Exactly. It's, it's, um, the, the thing is, I, uh, yeah, I'll add this bit out. I, people think I'm way more business-headed than I am. Mm. But the problem is that I feel like I've got, I've got some... My show side of my stuff is going in like a really good direction. So I've got to pull the business side up. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So like, because I'm on my own. Like, I don't have anyone else backing me. So I feel like I've always got to be like, where where can I market this? Where can I put this mm-hmm. kind of thing? So it's not as bad as, I'm not as... <laughs> uh, no, yeah. it's good. Um, okay, fine. It's Mo- smart. Mo- most people judge me quite badly for it for some reason. No, no, um, I think it's really smart. Okay, I didn't mean it in a derogatory fashion. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. I might leave I that meant- in then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just meant it like you're definitely... You've got a bigger grasp on it than I do, which is a good thing. I don't know. You're 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 full time. I'm. I've been going for ten years. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I know. I'm not too, but there are people who've been going four years who who are still who are full time now, but they're living on the breadline kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, do you? I mean, do you do you think you can make a living as just a stand up on the circuit? I mean, uh, in oh, what in what sense? So, if you were just to gig. So you didn't do Edinburgh and you didn't do like writing maybe for other people and you didn't do uh, like maybe when you were doing day job. So you don't do day job. Could well, you... I think if I didn't do Edinburgh, I would make more money because oh, really? um, I in an, so I do I do make money from Edinburgh. But if I were to stay in London, I'd probably make more because of all the gigs I would the paid gigs I would get because everyone's up in Edinburgh. <laughs> There was one year I didn't do it, and that was the first year I started to get some decently paid gigs, and that was during August. Um, so, yeah, I think it is definitely possible. I think it's hard. Um, but at the moment, that's kind of what I'm doing. I haven't had any, like, writing gigs come in recently, and I don't have any on the horizon. So I haven't had anything coming in. So I've just got to cross my fingers that the the that the gigs will be enough to pay things for the next couple of months until you know the seasons where things maybe might start rolling around uh i don't think that's going to be pre-edinburgh though (laughs) yeah i know what you mean do you uh without maybe getting too personal do you Mm. make a profit on edinburgh then yeah i do now there was a couple of the first year i i made a loss and then the next couple of years Next couple of years, I technically made a profit, but I realized that I'd saved a lot of money in terms of accommodation and things like that. So if I'd paid for those things, I would have been out of pocket or I would have just broken even. So So the only reason I made money was because I wasn't paying for accommodation in Edinburgh. Right. Um, That's the killer one for everyone. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm very... I'm very lucky because my lovely Scottish fiancé has lovely Scottish friends <laughs> who live in Edinburgh all the time. So um, <laughs> we tend to stay with one of them in particular who's who's just the most wonderful man in the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know what I would do if I had to suddenly start paying for it again. Uh, I think it would make things very... It would make things possible, but I'm hoping by that stage that... I wouldn't need Edinburgh anymore. And uh, I don't know. What what my dream is is to have something like the Soho Theatre say, oh, we'll commission you to write a new show each year. I mean, that would be the dream where I can... Well, or maybe not even commission, but, like, if you write a new show, we'll put on a season. Like, that's all I want, mm. yeah. I was going to say, I don't think they commission it like that, but I... But, no. Yeah, but I know but as mean. in, uh, let's commission a more, like, contract. Like, you would... Uh, if you were to write a new show, you would be contracted to debut it the season 
at their theatre. Um, so that way they get... So I don't know if that's how it works. But that's my dream. So let's run for Edinburgh. You've been going how many years when you did your first Edinburgh? Um, first Edinburgh was 2009. My first... Do you want to go for my first gig? Well, no, I was going to do... It was the cape falling off your back. That one was your first yep. show, wasn't it? So was... let's go from there. Mm-hmm. Your first actual show. What? When? How long have you been going? Um, but are we going for my first gig? For, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. say how long I've been oh, going. Oh, sorry, I thought you first gig at Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, your first gig. So my first gig was in 2005. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and 2009, so that's four years. Four years. Yeah. And you did paid fringe? Yep. Right. And you said you didn't make a profit on that one? No. Was that due to, and again, you'd have to answer, but was that due to you not being a big enough name, you going paid too early because obviously that's like a whole other barrier to people who don't know who people are. Mm-hmm. Or do you think that was like another variable that came into play? Because it wasn't that the Olympic year? What was the Olympic year? 2010 uh, 2012. Oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> um, I never thought about it. Right. I go into Edinburgh like jumping into a pool. I don't really think about things as much as I should, which is funny because I'm a control freak. So I do, when it comes to things like press releases, um, flyering, promote, like things like that, I am all over it. Like I will put so much effort and thought into what my poster looks like and all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to the actual logistics, like how much am I spending on accommodation? How much am I spending on venue hire? What am I, you know, that sort of thing. I'd never... I just would always assume that money would come back to me in the end of it. I think if you think about things too much, sometimes they can stop and scare you from actually doing stuff you need to do. And because I had a day job when I was doing that sort of stuff, I I knew that if worse came to worse, I had a day job. So I didn't care so much as to whether I made money from it. I just wanted to do it. Um but that said, uh, because I've never been someone who earns a lot of money, I was always very careful about what I did pay money for. So I would pay the 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 border, like the bottom line costs. So you have to pay if you're in a. The other thing is I didn't know free fringe was a, was an option, and at that stage, free fringe did not have a great. Uh, reputation um, I, the only people I knew who had done free fringe were Australian acts who had such a horrible time uh, they never came back so, so would you you were in the UK at this point yeah I'd, yeah I'd been in the UK for about a year oh okay fine I was just trying to work out whether you'd come over to the fringe from Australia and then that was when you were staying well I well right I, let's <clears throat> let's sit down for story time with Beck Hill I came over in 2008 I went straight to the Edinburgh Fringe. I uh, So I, what happens, I moved to Edinburgh because I wrongfully thought that that's where all the comedy happened um, because Melbourne's a bit like Melbourne, they have the Melbourne Comedy Festival and that's where comedy is for the rest of the year. Interesting. So I was like, right. oh, that's what Edinburgh must be. And so I went over and, um, and moved to Edinburgh, so got a flat so that I wasn't paying ridiculous amounts for accommodation. And then... Uh, and then I worked. I worked that festival. So I, I worked for the Gilded Balloon. I um, worked in their front of house and got to know all the staff. And when I could saw shows, but it's hard when you're working it. So, um, but I'd still got to know a lot of the the acts. Um, 
And the nice thing about working a fringe and starting off at the bottom and being front of house is that when you return the next year as an act, um, the people who, when you're front of house, the people who treat you the same as they would if you were an act are the ones that you know are worth spending time with. Um, because uh, people like lovely, Daniel Sloss is a lovely example. He was incredibly, everything about him means that he should have been a horrible person. He was incredibly successful very early and I met him at Gilded Balloon when I was doing front of house and he should have been so far up his own ass um, because he was so successful so young and he wasn't. He was just a delightful young man and I suspect that's one of the reasons he is so successful. And uh, he always had treated me like an equal um because surprisingly people are generally equal to each other and uh and it was very nice to me and so that meant um when I returned as a comic and went oh yeah by the way I've got this whole show under my wing from Australia um I was able to go oh I know you're a good person because you have time for me and you know you kind of and then the ones who are horrible to you you know maybe they're worth steering clear of or just being a little extra careful around um so yeah I I recommend working a festival before you do anything and working at Gilded Balloon and knowing the staff meant that that's why I went to, to a paid fringe venue the following year because I already knew everyone there so I knew I'd get looked after and I knew because I knew the staff I knew I wouldn't feel self-conscious about just telling people what I need or want so I already knew the people in the press office so when I was there I could pop into the press office and go oh um is there anywhere I can like publish a blog about this and they go oh yeah Scotsman have just said that they need a blog for this and I was like brilliant can I whereas a lot of people I think are too afraid to ask despite the fact that that's kind of what press offices are there for so um that's one of the downsides of the the free fringes we don't have any of that like press office and stuff yeah Um, and I think I, I don't I I've I wouldn't like to do free fringe but that's purely because I require too much I think I think I'm too much of a diva like I want somewhere I can leave my props yeah. safely I want I want somewhere I can change I want to not have to share a toilet with all the public while I'm trying to get ready for a show and put on makeup and stuff you know I want a proper lighting rig and sound cues so I can do whatever I want in the show and make it work doesn't sound like a deep that sounds like a, <laughs> a bare necessity of I've seen your shows and yeah it sounds like because you've got a lot of tech and stuff and a lot of yeah like you had a lot of sound involved in the last one in particular yeah and yeah like cues and stuff like that so yeah it makes sense mm. I don't it's, think you're being unreasonable no but I think well, like but at the same time I do sometimes look at people on the free fringe and go oh, I wish I could do that I wish I could just show up and do an hour of stand up and then that was it so I mean well, the, the, I treat free fringe the way I would treat paid fringe but like because like I, I try I, I can't afford to do paid fringe essentially mm. and out of interest did they offer you a deal then because you'd work for them uh, I don't believe so I think it was the same that they've offered all their other acts I don't know what they offer their other acts so it could have been but I think that when I speak to other people it appears that the thing that the biggest cost comes from is uh, people use PR companies and I or get a producer. And I found out very early. So I always produced myself back in Australia. And so I naturally produced myself when I first came to, to Edinburgh. 
And then I remember a producer approached me and said, we'd love to produce you next year. And I was like, oh, me? A producer? How exciting. Uh, I'll be honest, I had no idea what a producer is. I think I don't know if you've got a podcast that talks with people about what a producer is, but no one seems to 100% know what a producer is or does because it t- tends to vary depending on what the pro- whose producer it is and what show it is they're producing. But I found out very quickly that in Edinburgh, a producer means hey, I'll do all the paperwork that's actually really easy and you pretty much have to do anyway for in order for them to fill it in. And and uh, that's what I'll do. And you pay me at least a grand to do all the stuff you could do yourself and, uh, and then that's it. And then I might put you in a brochure, but then I'll also charge you for that. And then you're just like, mm, how many people actually read that brochure? Not enough. Not enough. Not like two grand worth. <laughs> for, for the record, I've, I'm doing, I've done a, I've done a uh, blog post about press releases, which I'll link to in the show notes. Yeah. Um, which is just basically, I contacted some PR people uh, just because I wanted them for the podcast. And then we were talking about working together. And they, they sort of, it felt like I would be, after talking to Bob Slayer, Mm. about it he was like you need to ask them what you're going to get for your five grand or whatever they're going to charge you for a month mm-hmm. because you'll not be the only person they've got yeah. so as a result if they've got 10 clients they're getting 50 grand how much are they really going to put in for you yeah so i questioned it so i rang up a load of literally i rang around every newspaper i want to contact anyway and said can i talk to this journalist or this reviewer and i said what do you want like what genuine what would you want in a press release what do you want me to do when i contact you when do you want to be contacted and then and they were lovely about it they were like this is very logical and normal thing like i don't understand why more people don't do this because the amount of people that send us through stuff like at the wrong time or they'll send for a press release that just doesn't tell me anything about the show yeah and so i'm doing the same for those kind of roles where like i'm talking to people who produce shows direct shows um sort of other basically the roles that we as comedians don't necessarily understand but we're doing them anyway yeah because i don't like the fact that i don't know what these so like someone was talking to me a while ago and they said oh i i produce shows um do you want do you you know anyone who's looking for a producer and i went what does that mean you do and they were like well produce shows and i went that's just you repeating what you said yeah that's not a helpful answer yeah yeah um, so it's good to know that you've come across that and you actually now know what they do because for me and I think for acts coming through if you don't know what they're doing mm. you know you could give like you said you can give someone a grand and they might not do anything for you I think yeah you, the, it's really important that people work out what it is they want and what they're expecting I think the problem is a lot of people have been because they because Edinburgh's a, I, I did the Adelaide Fringe and Melbourne Comedy Festival several times before I did Edinburgh. So I'd already... And most people self-produce in Australia because comedy isn't a career option over there. It's just not a thing. Very few people get to do it, and it's usually because they manage to get on TV. Um, and uh, don't get me wrong, they're incredibly good. But like, because there's so few comedy rooms in Australia because everyone's so happy and the place is so big, which makes touring near impossible to do on a budget... Um, it's, uh, there's no comedy career really there. And because of that, there's very little in the way of people trying to prosper from comedians because no one has money. So everyone ends up producing themselves, um, during festivals, except for the huge acts, the, the really big name acts. So you get used to doing that really early on and knowing what it is that you need to fill out and risk assessments and, and, uh, PRS or, or you know public liability things like that you get you and generally speaking what if it's a festival 
festival that you're working for, like Adelaide Fringe or Melbourne Comedy Festival, their site will tell you what they need, right? It's so easy and people get so scared that it's going to be complicated that they don't just take a breath and read. Um, And so when I started doing Edinburgh, it just seemed natural to kind of do everything myself, to contact the venue myself, to, um, you know, send my press release out to to various newspapers myself. And I won't lie, I did have uh, help from a very good friend called uh, uh, Bobby Pryor, who was a producer, um, who did sometimes send out things to people who I didn't have contacts for. Um, And she, not for any money, just because she's awesome. Mm. So I did kind of gain some help out of that. But generally speaking, it is stuff you can do yourself. And, um, yeah, I I think a lot of people uh, think that they need a producer in order to get a venue and in order to to do all the forms and stuff and or work out where they're going to put ads and stuff like that. So they just go, oh, I'll pay you a flat fee and you do everything for me. But that flaffy is so not worth it. Like given the given that it takes you like three days max to do all them, of the admin, <laughs> you send them the information anyway. Like you you yeah, write you it out. Yeah, you have to fill it out anyway. Yeah. So yeah. so then you're just sending it off. And you've I got say a middle this. Yeah. I used a producer last year, and I am using one this year. But that's um, that's purely because a she does give me my like she the work she put in last year paid for herself and more so it was definitely worth it she's also my agent so it made sense to have her as my producer because otherwise she would Beth uh, Beth O'Brien so she would have to prioritise the people she was producing so if I hadn't had her as a producer uh, it would have been harder for me if I had questions or things I needed to run it would be quite cheeky of me to say can you act like a producer for me but uh, I just won't pay you so um, uh, it did make things easier and, and she was great um, she, so I'm, I'm using her again this year, but I mean, don't, I was a pain in the ass for her cause I, I really had to keep going. So what's this, what, what happens to this? What are you going to do here? What, like, how is this basically like, how am I investing my money? What are you going to do? With it? And uh, she was very patient with me and, uh, and obviously I'm still on her books, so she doesn't mind. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to talking to. Her. I didn't know she produced. The, I knew I knew she directed and 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 did writing, and obviously, obviously, is also your agent for live for some live stuff. I know. Yeah. Uh, which we'll get onto in a minute, but I didn't know she did the producing for shows as well. So that would be interesting. She to doesn't talk really to direct. Her. She does do more producing. Okay. Yeah. So, no, I'll, be, I'll add that. To and she produced uh, the wrestling. Yeah. Which one? She produced the wrestling. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which right. happens uh, every two years in Edinburgh. That's awesome. No, I'll, I'll be sure to note that down so because mm. I'll, I'll ask you about that because yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, so you st- so you started breaking even from year two, or you mm-hmm. started making profit from year two at Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. Was that because you had outside of Edinburgh built up an audience, or, or like or like done the circuit enough that people knew who you were, or do you think that was down to PR marketing, like just pushing yourself out there, or, or even flying? It could have even been down to that. A lot of people came because I flyed them. Uh, and because when I fire people, I'll have proper conversations with them. So, and I still will occasionally fire people in Edinburgh. Um, if I haven't sold out a show, I'll still whip around and, and do some of the cues and have chats with people because it's a good way of getting people in who might not go otherwise. Um, I think it's, I think it was mixed. I think it was a little bit of flyering. I, there was a lot of, uh, people who came 
to see me who'd seen me the first year. I don't know why my first show was not that good. Looking back, I'm like, geez, I can't believe anyone booked me for stuff after that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I guess, repeat, repeat clientele and, uh, flyering. And I think by that stage as well, I'd also, um, learnt to get better at emailing the right people with press releases and things like that. It was the third year that things started to kick off and that was because that's when I started um, using Steve Ollathorne's publicity shots. Um, and I think anyway, well, it was partly like obviously word of mouth and that sort of thing, but get some good publicity shots Oh, if there's anything, I mean, I don't want to tell people, don't do that actually, because then it makes it easier for me. Um, but oh, I cannot get some good photos, guys. Honestly, no, like there's a reason that fa- when you look at posters for famous comics and stuff that they look amazing. It's not because, you know, they're dishing out, they're, some of them will be dishing out thousands of pounds. You don't need to. Uh, but the reason is because they put effort into it or they choose a good photographer and a good designer and if you ah uh, you you would never see I don't know Jimmy Carr with a poster that looks like it's been designed on PowerPoint PowerPoint is not there to design I, I'm also saying this because I used to work for a print company but you know like power yeah to get a good quality print you need to design something in the right um uh with the right sort of amount of pixels and uh, depth and CMYK for print as well, which you can't really set on PowerPoint, which means that if you design something in PowerPoint and then get it printed, it will probably turn out pixelated and the wrong color. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it's just my little rant, but it just I still can't get over it. There was a particular person on Facebook uh, who was asking for opinions on her poster. Yeah, and... Um, and it, the first version she did just had so much happening and I just kind of went, is it like you've got a photo, she's got a great photo, is it that hard, like 50 bucks, like it's not that much, you'll spend that on a couple of pizzas or something, you know, like don't get takeaway, don't get coffees for a couple of weeks, spend that money on getting a good poster designed from that photo and you will make that money back so much qu- more quickly. It's... I don't understand why people won't just pay 50 quid like and just like no no I'll do it myself no 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 like there are some things you don't need to spend money on like produce like most producers and there's other things that are definitely worth the money and if it's making yourself look good then it'll it'll come back it'll come back in some way or another if you've got a good photo then you'll get booked for more gigs and you've already paid off the photo shoot yeah my my poster cost about 300 quid plus headshots right Mm -hmm. and I thought that was a bargain because after I met with, do you know Adele Sukan? Yeah. After I met with her, I was like, right, I'm putting money into a poster this year. Because, not that I hadn't up till that point. Yeah. But I was like, just, because she said something that really like kicked me in the ass. And I was like, and I'll never forget it. Because she looked me straight in the face and just went, your poster and your flyers will be seen by more people than your show. Yep. So make that good. Yeah, she's dead right. Yeah. Yeah. And she was amazing like that. Yeah. 
and I know what you mean about like because I even did I did another blog post about printing stuff and I got loads of people messaging me asking about like and I'm not an expert on printing and I'm not like I don't know much about it but I know a lot from doing different shows mm. and I know what you mean about like different resolutions and trying to get it right and 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 especially Photoshop's amazing for that so you can customize it enough yeah but the amount of comedians who are just like yeah but I'm just doing a split show it doesn't matter and you're like really does because if you if you are spending so for me at the moment um, assuming I don't eat any food, my my daily budget in Edinburgh is going to cost me about £104 a day, I think I worked it out as, including accommodation, show, everything like that, mm. for break it down. So if, you, if you've if you got £104 just to waste, you know what I mean? Because like, yeah. you don't mind the audience not coming in and not giving you bucket money or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll have I'll, I'll get your gig down here for that money. You know? Yeah, like yeah, a, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. mental. That's it. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's worth... I, I, Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I would also say that there are... Um, uh, Idil is fantastic and she's an amazing photographer and uh, anyone who uses her is doing the right thing. Um, I would also say that she... uh, You do get what you pay for with her and a lot of us, myself included, are not in a position where we can afford that. Um, So um, I would advise people not to be put off. I've seen... Uh, yeah, I would advise people not to be put off by those types of prices because there are still some, inc- well, my, I'll just put it this way. My photos and, and, and design, um, don't cost anywhere near the same amount. Um, Is it, are deals all mine you're in? Of mine. Oh, okay. Um, nowhere near the same that, that, um, other photo shoots I've heard of cost. Uh, so it is still possible to get very professional shot, very mm. professional shots and very professional design, um, for a reasonable amount, uh, and as you say, around sort of the three hundred mark, I would, I would budget for two fifty to three hundred for a mm. decent poster and uh, photo like publicity shots. Yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, like uh, Sean Brightman came on this. And he, <gasps> Love Sean Brightman. Yeah, he, yeah, he was very open. He was like, if I like the work, I'll 
do you a deal if you're really strapped for cash or yeah. whatever? I don't know if he's still doing that. Sorry. Um, and and my 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 photographer and designer, I'll put links in for both of those people because they're they're friends of the show and the deals. But yeah, you know, like we said, she's quite expensive. Um, but you get what you pay for. You know, like, yeah, like you said, exactly. you, you not that Sean and that's that sounds bad. But you know, what no, I, mean? I, I you, well, you, I guess um... you get a different service with a deal. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. That's what you're paying for with her because she she goes all out. In she's terms an art of, director. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Whereas um, uh, with some people, they've they've learned how to get similar effects, but just on a on a smaller budget. Yeah. Um, and that's where you they'll pass they'll pass the savings on to you, uh, which is very nice. Um, but yeah, there's and that's the other thing as well. If you're if you can be friends with anyone who's a decent photographer or or designer or anything like that. Then, generally speaking, if you already know not to be a pain in the ass, yeah, they'll they'll usually be pretty good to you in return. But I always try and uh, I I was given some great deals when I started out, and incre- like as the years go on, I'll slightly get charged more and more, which I'm fine with because I'm slightly getting paid more and more and <laughs> to inflation. do this. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So my uh, I think that I'll. I'll always be happy to pay as much as I can afford mm. for those types of services. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and last, I mean, last year, I, from an outsider point of view, I felt went phenomenally for you. Like you were on the front of the Guardian Guide, you were like getting pimped out all over the place, if that's the way to phrase <laughs> it. But you know what I mean? Like, and your show, I think your show sold out every, every night, was it? Almost every night? No, I wish. Uh, it was about a th- like a third to a half or something of about half of them sold Still out. Really, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to get to a stage where I can sell out every night. That's my that's my goal for this year is to try and get to that sort of point. Um, Are you staying in the same size venue? Because I think it's about yep. eighty seater, wasn't it? It's fifty. 50 yeah, sorry. it's in my tiny turret. I yeah. love the turret, and I will stay there until I physically cannot fit in there anymore. Um, yeah, I, I like working in that room. I think last year was good. It went well. Well, I this is the thing. Last year, I think partly worked amazingly because that was the year that I got a good producer, um, and so that. But I wasn't ready for a good producer before that. My shows weren't at a. My shows weren't of a quality where a producer would have helped because all would have happened is they may have got some more industry and some more reviewers in to see me. And they would have gone, well, she's not ready. Um, and a producer can't make you a better comedian. I think people need to know that. A producer or an agent does not make you a better comedian. You need to be a better comedian in order to get a producer or an agent. That's how it works. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. When I, when I was chatting to a, a PR person that will remain nameless for now, <laughs> they, they said to me, like, you know, we'll turn down your work easily because there's so many other people that want it if you're not ready and we're, getting, we're not going to have mm-hmm. a good time doing it because it makes us look bad as well. If we yeah. start pushing you out to people, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And that's, you know, this is someone who's going to be charging you £5,000 for 30 days' exactly. work. Yeah. You've got to think, they, they must have a reason, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, Exactly. Um, so I think uh, it was a combination of, of getting a good producer uh, at the same time that I'd reached a certain level. I, and that I'm saying a certain level because it's certainly not the highest. Like I'm nowhere near done. You know, like I've got a lot of work to do. And I've had theatre directors and stuff pull me aside and go, you're not there yet. 
<laughs> and I'm like, cool, good. I'm glad. But when they say yet, I mean, it's the yet that makes me feel good. That doesn't make me feel down. It makes me feel hopeful um, because it means it's someone saying you could be uh, rather than stop. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I um, I think it was a, a nice combination of having a producer who could get the right people in to see me at the right time. And then that cult, like culminated in some very nice publicity and again good photos uh which helps because uh steve allathorn um is also gilda balloon's official photographer so it's quite handy to have him around when the gilda balloon are contacted for a, f- a nice photo to put on the front cover of yeah like the scotsman's art section and then steve goes well i want to use one of my photos because yeah, i want my work to get yeah. seen and then just got to hope that he really likes one of the photos he took of you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's quite interesting. So did, did did you get photos from him included in your package, as it were? Or was it like just... No, like I... So I used I, I used Steve Alathorn separately. Okay. Um, so I always like hire him uh, like privately. But he happens to... But he also happens to be the photographer, the official photographer for Gilda Balloon, which oh, means cool. he's often in the press office. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's in his best interest to make sure that his photos get seen. Of course. So, uh, yeah. And the thing is, they will... I mean, that's not to say they they definitely send photos that other people use. So this isn't a case of, like, you have to use him if you're a Gilded Balloon. Yeah. Uh, they, they'll, they'll just use any good photo that is in there. Um, but it helps that uh, Steve and I have a good relationship so that occasionally... If he gets asked to send a photo, if he happens to like the one that I'm in, it might be the one that gets sent. Definitely, definitely. Flyering-wise, mm. I, I, again, I did a blog post. Someone linked me to a book. I bought the book. I read the book. You were featured in the book <laughs> about uh, flyering because they were talking about uh, why people have gone to see a show. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, I went to see this girl, Beck Hill, because she came up to me in a queue and flyered me and was mm. very polite and very lovely about it. And and I think I sent you an image of it. At some you point. did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, oh, my God, you're in a book. I've yeah, just been I think other people, because I didn't realise I'd be mentioned in a book. And then I think some other people went, you mentioned in a book. <laughs> yeah. like, what? <laughs> Technically published. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what advice would you give to people for flyering? Um, do it. <laughs> do it yourself, you mean? Yeah, do it yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, unless, of course, you're just the sort of person who can't get along with people. And there are people out there like that. And for those people, I say, hire someone who has a really, really great personality. Um, because if, yeah, if, um, there are just some people out there who, who don't enjoy talking to people. This, like, and I know that I'm someone I've, I've worked countless customer services jobs. I've worked door to door sales, which is the most horrible job in the world. But if you can get through that, then you can talk to people about trying to sell your show. So, uh, I don't, I quite enjoy it because I really like talking to people and meeting new people. And, um, there's a lot of people who still see my shows now who I met originally flyering years ago but uh yeah so the key is talk to people don't just hand them out no one's going to look at it um give it to them when they're in a position to read it uh not when they're mid-conversation because that annoys people and not when they're mid-walk because generally speaking they won't look at it um try and get people who look like they're looking for a show um, that's like people in the queue for the fringe box office um, who are waiting. They're bored, man. Give them something to read. Give them a chat. Entertain them. If you can make them laugh, 
while you're talking to them. That gives them more reason to trust that your show's good. Treat it like a little gig. Um, I've always been tempted, and I, I don't think I'll ever I'll get around to it, but I've always been tempted to do a, a flyer, a double-sided flyer, where one is for my show and the other side uh, is for another show I'll be doing called The Flyering Show, which is uh, basically describes me flyering. So it's like, Beck Hill, we'll talk to you for between 30 seconds and five minutes uh, out in public. Um, regale you with stories of funny things she's seen that day blah 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 right the, with the idea being that I will fly them for my official show but when I walk away they'll be left with a flyer for a show they just saw as well oh that's quite cool <laughs> yeah that's awesome um, but yeah why would you not do that uh, because I have less time to flyer these days and oh, okay. uh, yeah I um, I wouldn't be able to get rid of like 5,000 of them on my own Um that said, I might get a small print run just done for me, for my sake. I might actually do that, actually. The more and more I think about it, yeah, I think I'll definitely do that. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's all I can say. Flyer, um, if genuinely, if you can't, if for any reason you you say you've got horrible anxiety where you can't talk to strangers, and there, there are people who do, and I'm not going to tell you to be a bubblier person if that's not who you are. Um, but if that is the case, then try and hire people who are because or try and hire people that give a good representation of you and your brand and your show. So I there was one year that I was doing several shows a day. I did not have time to flyer at all. So I did hire a flyer and she was so good that I insisted on having her every year um, because she had everything that I wanted that I would want if I was looking for a show she was she was very polite she was very nice she knew when to walk away she knew when she could stay she yeah she had a really good manner and um yeah if you can't do it yourself get someone who can how did you how did you meet that was it just that was luckily that was luckily through Gilda Balloon okay yeah that was just one of the staff that they'd hired and she that was a chance happening but but it meant that every year I requested her um specifically for when my dates were (laughs) yeah I want to add one last um uh tip to that because my friend Jay Cow he yeah I love Jay Cow he's awesome big fan yeah he uh hired a flyer because the guy came to his show and was really enthusiastic about it and I think if you can get the flyer to come see your show and they, oh. can, and they talk to you about it, that's... Yeah, yeah, that is something. If you... Um, absolutely. Some, there are some people out there who I have... Um, back in Melbourne, I've got a, a, a friend who's such a, a such an enthusiastic friend who bigs me up so much that in the end I went, I'm just going to pay you to do this because otherwise I feel like I'm using you as a friend. Because she would just walk around and people would be like, have you seen this show? So I just went, look, you know, take the flyers, I'll pay you. Yeah. Go and do it. Um, so, yeah, that that's another way you can do it. Also, if you end up hiring someone to fly for you, make sure they see your show before they start flying for you so that they know what they're selling. Because there's nothing worse than get, getting given a flyer from someone and they go, oh, what's it about? And they go, uh... <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, oh, so you actually don't care about this. Yeah. Why should I care about this? Oh, totally. Yeah. Mm. Um, Time Out said that you were one of the funniest people on Twitter. So a few years ago, so there's probably loads of funnier people out there now. Yeah, okay, fine. So you, you used to be quite a funny person on Twitter. <laughs> um, I was... No, okay, that's horrible. No, um, no, keep it in. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so why are you not funny anymore? No, yeah. uh, well, <laughs> no but what, 
what I was going to ask is, how did that come about? Was that just like some sort of random award? And you, like, did you go in for it? No, or was it like no, a... it was just published. Oh, there. Okay. And then I found out that I'd been listed in this like top five comedians on Twitter or whatever. And then I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> did, you, so, did you have like a relationship with Time Out? No. Oh, well, like I, the only. Uh, uh, I they I do know that the comedy editor had come to see Pun Run a fair bit, mm. so he was already following me and my puns on Twitter, so I think that helped a lot. Um, he's quite a, he's a big fan of the show. He hasn't come for a while um, because people have jobs and things to do, uh, and also being a comedy editor, I suspect he has to see a lot of different comedy. Yeah. But um, he's lovely. He's a lovely man. Yeah. Um, We've got him coming on as well. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I like him very much. Uh, so yeah, that that probably helped a lot. But that wasn't like that wasn't a, a like a, a networking thing that I was trying to do or anything like that. It just so happened to transpire that way. Mm. Mm. No, I remember. Yeah, because I mean, like I, we all get really excited by those kind of lists and stuff, or like mm. if you get featured in something. But I don't find much comes of it, other than like sort of. I don't know, you might take a screenshot of it and put it on Facebook and people go, oh, good. But like yeah, yeah. Twitter-wise, I don't find that really gets me many... It, it looks nice on a poster. Fair enough. Or it looks, it looks it. good on a comedy <laughs> CV. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it's it's an, a nice little thing to make people trust you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are great. Like, you still have to live up to whatever that, you know, thing is. So when I put that on... I won't put that on stuff if I'm like if I'm doing a like a, a new material night. I'm not going to advertise myself as one of Twitter's funniest people because people are going to come along expecting gold, and then I'll be like, uh, "So I'm kind of working on this joke, and um, uh, basically the it's about emojis and hieroglyphics, and the punchline <laughs> is tablet." Uh, you know, and they'll be like, "What? This isn't. This isn't." One of the funniest comedians on Twitter. This is more than 140 characters already. Like, what are you doing? I want my no money back. <laughs> That's the right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, Louisa was really like, uh, we had Louisa Omanan on. Mm. And I say we, I had Louisa. <laughs> like I've got some sort of big crew. Well, I like to, I like to think that uh, it's a community. It is a community podcast, thing. Yeah. I just, it's uh, it's just an odd way of me saying we. Um, yeah, she was like, uh, yeah, the amount of times you have to like play down your previews so much because otherwise like people who've seen you before come and they want the full show yeah yeah and you're like especially because louisa i think attracts a a crowd that wouldn't normally go and see a lot of stand-up i think she manages to she's tapped into this incredible uh audience that that needed her and were ready for her and Mm. hadn't been given anything like her before so they don't go to normal stand-up what they want is a full show that Mm. speaks to them uh, and that they can relate to and vice versa and uh, and she's done that and it's incredible um, but because of that they're not used to how things work like yeah previews or things like that so yeah definitely I think with those if you're dealing with audiences who don't normally see stuff it's like when you invite your workmates to something and they're like oh come and see I see you've got a gig on this Thursday at something called um, uh, garbage uh, dump laughter you know like it's always a weird name like that yeah. what can i go why don't we come to that and you're like why no don't come that is an open mic night yeah. it's gonna there's gonna be 30 acts 
most of them will be doing inappropriate material that they don't realize is not funny <laughs> just because it's shocking and uh, you're going to have a horrible time. What you have to do is say, you just wait until I've got a good gig and I'll tell you which one to come to. Totally. totally. Yeah. Usually I save people for preview. I know that sounds really weird, but I'll just be like, hey, guys. it's one of the advantages of freelancing because I do like four or five companies between previews. Mm. I'll like send, I'll get the all agency email. Yeah, address, nice. And I'll keep that like in my back pocket and then like I'll just send them out and just go, hey, everyone, remember the comedian from two months ago? Yeah, yeah, nice. Why don't you all come down? Um, they yeah. never do, they I still don't. do that with my old works yeah, and yeah. stuff I'll usually wait till like my final preview before Edinburgh where it's like as tight as it can be before Edinburgh and yeah. they'll be like right this is the one where I need a full audience hey everybody <laughs> remember me no the... okay come anyway that... you've, sort of... you've sort of half answered this one but I was going to ask if, if the pun run audience has helped you with other audiences like for your shows uh I, yeah, yeah, definitely. There's definitely some regulars we have at Pun Run who also come to my uh, preview shows and things like that. Um, yeah, so yes. Short answer, yes. I like the way you said yes like nine times. I like, realise um, that I've been answering all of these questions to such a depth that this podcast is potentially going to go for five hours and that sometimes I should just answer clearly because no further explanation is required. That's not what this podcast is about at all. <laughs> I want to shake off the casual listener. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I don't want those people who are the Comedians Comedian podcast who only can listen for an hour. I want yeah. the five hour mark Yay. people who are coming back from Cardiff on the train or something. That's true. So, yeah, it is true. We're, we are specifically going for people who want to know more about the industry. Yeah. And the amount of people that email and me the ones saying. who will listen for yeah. five hours. Well, the amount of people that said, oh man, you really helped me out. I had this stupid train journey and it was really good to have like two hours. <laughs> Worth of and I didn't have to change anything or whatever and it felt like they weren't on their own either yeah. one guy emailed me about three days ago just saying oh, I was going to have this really lonely train journey and it didn't feel as lonely and I was like oh that felt really nice oh can we just say uh, hello to anyone who's travelling right now okay go on hi hey hey you're not alone yeah you're here don't let our calming tones make you fall asleep if you're driving though watch out see there we go you're fine you'll be fine <laughs> I like the idea that now there is just like someone on the train going <laughs> yeah, yeah. jumping up and down I've totally just saved someone's life you, well no you Maybe, maybe not had them miss a stop. No, I've not. Well, maybe that as well. Maybe I've just woken someone up who was. I'm talking about people driving who were falling oh, asleep. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah so don't, don't. If you sleep could just, when you advertise this podcast, say with comedian and potential lifesaver, Beck Hill. That is the title that. for this podcast. Now. Great. Comedian and lifesaver. No, potential lifesaver. Potential lifesaver. Yeah. And people will listen to it, get this far in, and then just go, oh, that wasn't worth it. Yeah. Was Hashtag <laughs> Simon Shat. <laughs> <laughs> no one these are just jokes for us now no one's gonna like fucking go along I have a suspicion that I have one Twitter follower who will tweet us after this and use Simon Chat. and um, if that is you the follower I am thinking of uh, then I will let you know if you do it and you say was it me I will say yes or no if it is you this is a test now oh, to see if that yeah, person is... listens to this See, this is, this is really fun because, like, I I've been I, I've been building a bit of a Twitter following for like however many years, mm. and you've you kicked my ass on there. You've got eleven. Fa- I mean, it's not a competition, but if it was, you'd be winning. And, <laughs> um, and but you but you have like a really unique relationship with them in that like you had that reoccurring match joke 
which oh, I yeah. which I gave up on quite early on. And uh, and you also have like you you said I think you had like a happy birthday or something to one like you made like one video. Oh, a, a Valentine. Yeah, my Valentine's. Yeah, I did a, a Valentine's Day YouTube. I it was what it was. It was to get people to share a video I'd made on YouTube, and then I said. Uh, if any whoever retweets this I'll randomly pick one and make them or something like that and make them a Valentine's Day pun video uh, and I did yeah and it's still up there it still occasionally gets views which is strange because it's very specific yeah 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 and you also got you also did uh, we did the charades thing which was really fun oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember everything because I haven't done all my research obviously I've um, forgotten most of these things so. you've done that and you did uh, what was the thing with the Let's just. I'm going to edit that bit, and it will just say the charades. Um, and it was, so, so you, you. I mean, you're constantly sort of making them little bits of content and stuff. Is is that like planned, or is it just like I just want to make a charades game, or I I I like this match joke, so I'm going to keep tweeting it. Yeah. Or is it... No, that's it. There's no method to the madness. It's okay. just whatever I can be stopped doing. But I'm also incredibly stubborn, and that's that's also mainly why. Like I do a lot of challenges. So the match joke thing that and the extreme ch- um, charades. I did November as well yes I remember and, that um, you got more sponsors than me <laughs> <laughs> and I actually growed and did a gig from November and you got more money it was great <laughs> uh, well I, well, yeah I've got more followers though no no in general but I <laughs> well the thing is I because I, I, I did my show last year for prostate cancer mm. and I've got quite a good relationship with Movember they were telling me that most sisters as they are known mm. Um, get more money than Mobros, generally speaking, because uh, it, most it's most people. It's harder for us to grow a moustache. Not just that, but it's also we they jump on board with the with the kind of that you're trying to help out with the mental yeah. health issues and that kind yeah. of stuff more than than us who yeah, like you said, it's very easy for us to grow a moustache. But there's also rules, right? So it's not like it's just you know we've got to keep the other bit shaved and stuff. Mm. So oh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely easy. considering you're speaking to someone who like uh has to either shave or pluck or wax hair on a regular basis i know it's not easy good all the time <laughs> i i'm quite hairy right and i can tell you that the maintenance is bloody annoying yeah yeah, yeah i hear that brother i reckon if i was a dude we, <laughs> i reckon we would be equal hairiness possibly if i had some some more of that testosterone in my in my current show, I do a thing about ego, and at the end of it, I say, you know, it's basically just me trying to protect myself from other people's opinions. Here is a list of things I hate about myself. Judge away, and like I just and I literally just I, I literally just read a load of shit, and it's always like so cathartic. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's just stuff that genuine, and like half the time they're looking at each other, just going, I kind of got that as well. I've started telling people horrible things about myself, and then realizing that they're not necessarily joke worthy, but they're just like horrible confessions. Yes. Like I told, I there's one I t- kept trying and I realised it, it's just too gross for it to work. But it was basically what I realised that whenever I have, uh, whenever it's that time of the month, uh, ladies and uh, understanding gentlemen, because uh, we all know a woman, um, <laughs> <laughs> that I eat loads of eggs and I've realised that I've been subconsciously doing that because in my mind... I think that eating another animal's period will make mine more strong. That's so good. More powerful. I don't think that's disgusting. I think it's awesome, but unfortunately some audiences who do not know me find that to be a little bit too much information too soon, which is fair enough. So maybe you do it in your own show, but not... uh, I think so. I'm going to admit it at some point. Yeah. That's fine. I feel like if you can't confess something to your audience in an Edinburgh show, what's the point? What's (laughs) the point? 
<laughs> exactly. Um, I am. Um, your your YouTube videos um, do quite well. Is probably the understatement because they do. I mean, by comparison to most people's like stand up videos, you know, you you get quite a large number of mm. following and, and viewership. Has that ever caused you a problem? Like, say, say, I think fifty thousand people have seen your dinosaurs video. Yeah, I saw it recently again, and um, probably twelve thousand of them are me. So let's say <laughs> let's say thirty eight thousand yeah, yeah, people have yeah. seen it, right? Do you ever find that promoters or or you feel like if they've already seen it, they don't want to see it again, so you kind of feel like you have to ditch that material? Or do you think it's like a song, like a, yeah. like a, a band kind of it's thing? Exa- it's the exact, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, if anything, people tend to get disappointed if I haven't brought something along uh, who have only seen certain things. So I've the amount of times I've arrived at a gig where a promoter's not seen me in person but they've seen my YouTube videos, if they see me setting up dinosaurs or... Um, uh, like the um, the tampon ad, which was the first tampon one that ad. I did. Yeah. If they see me, I haven't done that in years actually, but if they saw me setting up something, often they'll go, oh my gosh, is that dinosaurs? Because, the, because doing it live is so much more different from seeing it on a video because yeah. doing it live, I guess the other thing is I'm very, the thing I like about doing those is that they're all continuous and it's an arse ache to practice and rehearse, but once you get it, you get to a nice rhythm of it. And to do it all in one go, and it is puppetry basically, um, and to get it all correct is quite—I am—I think quite nice for people to see live because it's even more special because there's more of a risk of me stuffing it up. Um, whereas with with so many of those YouTube videos, we did so many takes, so many takes. Um, usually because I'll make them and film them before I start doing them live, uh, so usually they're not at their strongest. Usually I might have. Like the the kill yourself one that I did um, to Phil Nichols song last year, um, I just finished making that the night before I was booked in to film it. So we filmed it before I'd ever really run through it with the music. Right. So we did like, I mean it wasn't loads, but it must have been a, at least ten or so takes. And you know when that's like a three minute song or something. Then yeah. yeah, like it starts to get quite, and then obviously you've got time to reset it as well. Mm. So that's about twice as long because you're yeah. going backwards essentially. So yeah, it starts to to take a toll, uh, and you can't really ha- do that live. So no. by the time I take it live, I have to have gotten really good at it. That's interesting. Yeah, so I imagine you you would have to be so. I just now have a picture of you just standing in this living room, just sort of going, they're a dinosaur. Just like going over and over and over again. Jay and I had to do that one together because I, that was the first time I'd made something where I had to operate it from both sides. I wasn't, because I normally operate it from one side and I wasn't thinking and I made it operational from both sides of the flip chart. This is very boring for anyone who hasn't seen these videos, but you'll watch them and you'll go, oh, that's kind of interesting. There's a link in the show notes if you really want to go and find the video and you should have watched it by now, quite frankly. (laughs) Do your research before listening to my podcast. (laughs) So, well, in order for us to do it, we both had to operate it from each side to get the timing right. So actually, if you watch the video on YouTube, you, you can see Jay's hairy arms on one side and my hairy arms on the other other um and then we're, we're operating it now uh, i i do it I've, I've been doing it on my own live for a couple of years now but um i remember rehearsing it to do it live on my own and getting it wrong every time because it was so difficult to get from side to side and get all the timing right and it was such a pain in the ass 
And Gavin, my beautiful fiance, was making me rehearse it. And we spent, I don't know, like an hour rehearsing it. And I still kept stuffing up. And I was getting really frustrated. And I had a proper tantrum, like a child. Like I was like, I don't want to do it. I'm just stupid. No one needs to see it anyway. It's on YouTube. Why do I have to do it live? And he was like, you know why I have to do it live. And I was like, I don't want to. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to do it. I was, getting, I was genuinely like, no, it's ridiculous. And he was like, right, you're hungry, so we're going to get you a snack, and then you're going to have a little sit down and drink of water, and then you're going to have another go. And sure enough, like, as soon as I'd done that, like, on the third go, I had it perfect, and I was like, and, you know, after that, it's so, people enjoy it so much live that I can't imagine not going that extra mile just to learn it, and then have something solid to fall back on. If I'd just given up, uh, then I would be missing out on something really, really fun. I did once do a gig in Estonia where a student came up to me afterwards and said, oh, do we have Bike Man? And Bike Man is oh. why I haven't done that. I maybe did it when I first met you or something, yeah, but I, I haven't like done that in years. And it's like just on YouTube, but it's not like a viral one. Like it's not one of the best mm. ones. It's just a silly one that I really enjoy. And I, I didn't have it because I was like, well, I haven't done it in ages. It's not my best one. But I love my friends and I, we love Bike Man. We love the Bike Man. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd put, I'm so sorry. And so the following year I got booked to do the same gig and I brought it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was just them and their friends that liked it because everyone was like, well, this is weird. Um, it's nice so they came I, back though. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was for them. That's pretty awesome, though. Yeah, yeah. I um, When it comes to YouTube, first of all, do you see yourself as a member of the YouTube community? And two, wh- how are you getting those level of views? Do you just put content up and it, it gets seeded, or, or are you sending it around to places? Or uh, No, I don't see myself as a member of the YouTube community. I've worked out quite quickly that what myself and the public, uh, as in, like, our friends and stuff see as viral will be several thousand. So you go, oh, it's got 50,000 views, it's gone viral. Uh, and then you see someone like, uh, like uh, back on the subject of Louisa, who her Melbourne Comedy Festival clip has now had over like 8 million views 8. or something. 5. Yeah, that's viral. 50,000 is not viral. 8.5 million is viral. Um so I, I don't really class myself as, as one of those people. I will still mention how many views things have had in CVs and stuff because people who don't know anything about YouTube, like that still sounds... Like in total, all of my videos have had over 200,000 200, views. Mm. That sounds very impressive to someone who doesn't know anything about YouTube. Um, to people who are on... Like I toured with Axes of Awesome last year and mm. for a while their four chord song was the most viewed comedy clip on YouTube mm. ever. Um, I can't remember what it's up to, but it's it's something like 50 million or something. It's ridiculous. That's viral. Um, mm. And so when I, when I talk to people like that, I realise that I am a very small fish in a very big ocean. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I respect highly what they do and the amount of effort they put into it. I just put stuff up and hope for the best. I don't have any... Again, there's no logic. There's no uh, method to the madness. I don't tend to send... I might I might occasionally drop a line to my more influential friends. So if I might send something to, say, Ben at timeout. Uh, these days. It's not that he can do anything with it because there's not much. 
but um, I might try and get it into the right hands. I might send it to Chortle to see if they'll put it on the front page mm. or um, friends who have loads of Twitter followers. I'll drop them a line and go, do you mind doing this? But I have done it to a point now that I start to feel quite like I'm taking advantage. Yeah, I know what you mean. And, uh, and now that I'm getting to a stage that, pe- that I'm getting – there's some people who ask me to share stuff on Twitter – so much and that's the only contact that they have with me that I'm starting to become very conscious of me doing that to other people because right. I don't want to be yeah, that yeah. guy yeah yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. yeah yeah so um no the funny thing is it's not anyone that we know oh, really? so okay. yeah yeah so it wouldn't be anyone it's more uh like not people in the comedy community but people who do other like have their own business ventures and right. then they'll be like hey can you just give a little you know, shout out for this and it's like oh Funny how you haven't spoken to me since we met at that party. Yeah. Yeah. For, for the benefit of the listener, uh, Beck did a little uh, shoulder shuffle for that. I did a little shuffle, yeah. Yeah, because that was, that was that was key to the impression. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's not very good for a podcast. A shoulder, is that a shoulder shuffle? What do you call it? A, shoulder, a, uh, a shimmy. 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 Sh- hey, I see that you've got some Twitter followers there. That's, oh, who's that character from it's The It's starting to sound... No, it's starting to sound like the pedo from Family Guy. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. jam. <laughs> There's a uh, there's a YouTuber I'll send you a link to who does a really like he he does impressions all the time, and he did a copy of Uptown Funk. Oh no, that sounds horrible. With, no 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 <laughs> with with Family Guy voices, and it was so good. Like honestly, it blew my mind. If I've seen yours two thousand times, I've seen his like eight. Like it's so good, and I had it on all repeat right. for like a whole. Fine, line. I'm gonna do um, an impression. I'm gonna do. I I don't even know the words of the song. Um. Uptown Frog. Yeah, now that's just uh, that's my impression of that's that guy. That's my new ringtone. That's my. <laughs> and then uh, um, here's another one. No, I got nothing. <laughs> that's why I don't do impressions. I was so Sorry. hoping for something good then. Sorry, all, right. all I've done is get... that was my impression of dead air. You've let everyone down. I know. All seven listeners. You know what? There's going to be someone driving who just drives off a cliff. Like, this is that boring. I'm <laughs> you woke them up and they were like, oh, I can't yeah. take it. Can you now advertise this podcast as comedian and potential murderer, Beck Hill? You know what? That is what it's... No other changes. That's how... That's the title of this podcast. <laughs> and we'll just see how many hits that gets. Yeah. Don't forget, hashtag Simon, Simon Chat. Simon Yeah, of course. <laughs> suggestions of hats that Simon can wear on stage Simon, yeah. but this is the thing right this is where we're, we're, we're uh, this is how my mind works because now I go right if you can actually start getting that what you do is you start wearing the actual hats that people suggest on stage getting a photo tweeting them going hey blah blah suggested I wear this hat on stage and then you get a photo of that and then it's that sometimes that connection I don't do it for followers I do it for fun and fortunately some people also find it fun some people don't and they stop following me and I'm cool with that because I don't want them to follow me. This is the thing. You, uh, the thing I realised recently because there was a, a woman who came to see me do a preview and uh, she had unfollowed me on Twitter but she she still wanted to come see me because she likes what I do. So I had a moment where I was like, oh, hang on, Twitter's not everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, not, not, yeah. That I was, not that I was investing that much into it anyway mm. but I was like, if they really care it doesn't matter as long as you put it out to other places as well because they're not following you there. Yeah. So it's it was kind of a weird moment, but I get what you mean. Like it's nice to have like more followers in a way, but it's also yeah. it's also not everything, and you need to kind of stay grounded on it. Well, I'm gonna do something this year. I don't know what the ha- I, I don't know what hashtag to make it. So if anyone has suggestions, Simon shits. Yeah. <laughs> 
But this this August, I'm going to be um, doing a a thing where I'm so for the month of August, so for the whole Edinburgh Festival, I'm only going to take clothes there that or or wear clothes there that people have given me. Oh. So it won't be anything I've chosen for myself. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll take a photo of my outfit each day and say like style by, and this is terrifying because it means that everyone can. I'm make bringing some shit. Yeah. Well, there's loads of stuff that um, like I have been sent some very nice clothes from some really cool designers, so that's awesome. But I've also been given a, a huge. Um, shirt for the Linköping uh, volleyball team in Sweden. Um, so while I was there, they represented. They gave me one of their shirts that they play in, and they're all like six foot seven. So it's massive. It's like a dress. Yeah. Um, so I've been given that one, but also uh, it means that other anyone listening, it means that if you want, you can give me a T-shirt that you've just written the details of your show on. So I'll technically be advertising your show. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's things like that, um, or ridiculous, you know, uh, upshot. Well, I'll be uh, getting my show printed on a t-shirt for you. Do it. For 23 consecutive. <laughs> 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 Miss, I've got more follow. No, um, uh, that's quite cool. Okay, right. Really quickly, I want to talk about Australia versus UK. Mm-hmm. Because you said in Australia, you can't really make a living as a comedian out there. Yeah. Is that why you moved over here? Yes. So you wanted to just do comedy? It wasn't like another reason or any? Uh, it was, well, it was half that. And half the fact that I fell in love with a Scotsman and uh, his visa was running out, so I thought I'd follow him over here. And, uh, yeah, well, I never planned on being a comedian for a career. I just knew that it was the only thing that felt right. So I didn't care if I had to work an entry-level job for the rest of my life if it meant that I could keep doing stand-up. That's how much I love stand-up. I don't... I never did it for the money or for the potential to have a job in it. I did it because I can't imagine not doing it. Mm. Um, And anything else was just to be able to afford to do it. And then I knew... So I was happy enough doing that in Australia, but I had heard that the the comedy scene in Britain was uh, bigger. So it just made sense to come over here at that time and give it a shot. I mean, I was working in a bowling alley. I had nothing really holding me back there. Like, I've got great friends and family. It's not like I I do miss them. But in terms of um, stuff that I was uh, tied into, there was nothing sort of holding me back there. So I thought, I'll give it a go and see how it goes. Unfortunately, both the the boyfriend and the uh, comedy went very well. Um, But, yeah. I, I I never planned on it being full time. It just it just worked out this way. Unfortunately, I'm so used to being full time now that the idea of going back to how I was living before is so horrible <laughs> that I can't imagine not being a full time comedian. But uh, it does also make you work really hard because you're like, wow, I remember how tired I was before. I don't want to do that again. You're still tired now. Like it's not like you're. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am tired, it's a but I'm type like, of tired. Uh, yeah. I'm. Um, I feel content tired like I'm tired mainly because I've been doing things that I want to do and not because I've been helping a different business do something that I'm not particularly interested in totally get that mm. I, I I love my day job but only up to a certain point and if I do too much of it I hate it again so like I like that I can freelance and jump in and out of it yeah so I know what you mean by like 
yeah and it's only to pay to do this so it's not yeah. even a yeah. I mean I was technically full time three three times before this <laughs> if you count unemployment <laughs> like yeah. there were times where my jobs got so horrible that I left them to you know take some time off mm. uh, but I was never making enough from comedy to, to stay not working in a, in a full time job so I just eventually ended up finding a new one Okay. Mm. And you, you have an agent at the moment. Yes. Beth at Ditto Productions. Yep. Shout out. Well, um, um How did that happen? Um, Beth, actually, funnily enough, so that woman I told you about before, Bobby Pryor, mm. um, the producer, she now is more heavily involved with um, BBC Radio, so she doesn't really work with live um, bookings as much now. And for a while she was a producer for a circus act, so it was still, again, different industry. Um, but she f- did produce comedy acts um, for several years uh, quite some time ago and quite successfully um, and, and as an independent producer as far as they go. And uh, so Beth was kind of her protege when she started out and Bobby was very helpful to Beth. And I was very anti-agent, but Bobby had been very helpful to me and I was actually willing to sign up with her, um, like to sort some sort of contract to say she looked after me. But you know, she was working with circus and she had her own things and it just didn't, she would never be able to give me the time that would be required. Um, and around the same time I was thinking that was when sort of Beth and I like would see around each other around the circuit. We always got along as friends and then she sort of put forward that she'd be interested to have me on her books. And, and then I had a meeting with her and Bobby to make sure Bobby was fine with it. And she was so, uh, yeah, but I didn't – I'd had offers from other agents over the years, but um, I wasn't ready, so I said no. <laughs> uh, I'm quite happy booking my own things, and I didn't want to be booked for anything that I didn't want to do. I'd rather have a day job that I've chosen to work at to support me doing gigs that I like rather than doing gigs that I don't like on their own and then hating comedy and then wanting to quit. So, yeah, I would just turn down those agents. And and then when I met Beth, she said, "Um, you can keep booking your own live stuff and I'll look after everything else. And I went, yay, those are the things I don't know how to book. This is a great team. And uh, very happy with her. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because, yeah, because you've done a bit of TV now, like yeah, children's TV. Yeah, she's great. She gets me some lovely auditions. Yeah. I had an audition for Inside Number 9. Oh, my God, um, I love Which that I program. did not get, but oh. I saw the episode and I can see why. <laughs> because I'm de- uh, it was the uh, Backpacker episode. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first one. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if anyone's seen me and has seen that first episode yeah. and seen the Australian Backpacker, they'll understand why I did not get the role. Um, but the mere fact that I managed to get an audition for it, I was very excited about. Yeah. So, um, and, and Beth's been incredible about that. She's very supportive and often gets me these odd little opportunities here and there. So you've run a comedy course. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny cause I'm anti comedy course. Uh, generally speaking, right. I realize the hypocrisy in this. Uh, it's, because well, it's not very hidden. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't think people can learn um, comedy. <laughs> and I guess I came from a from a position where I just did gigs and learned that way. I don't think anyone should have to pay to learn. Um, but that said, um, UCL uh, y- years ago wanted to put on a workshop. They asked me if I'd be happy to run it. Um, looking back, I probably shouldn't have been running one then because, you know... 
I don't think I was as knowledgeable then as I am now, but it was very much a beginner's guide and it was a three hour workshop. So it wasn't really a course. It was a three hour workshop where we would talk about the sort of basics of stand up. Um, and then I, uh, and what happened was UCL paid me to do that. So their students went for either free or a very relatively low fee. And it was essentially the, the UCL um, budget that paid for it. Uh, so I didn't have a problem with that because I didn't feel like I was taking advantage of students. I took was taking advantage of an institution that has a budget. Um, but then uh, earlier this year, I was asked again if I'd like to do a, run any workshops at the Cameron Comedy Club. And um, I'd had a few people ask me, because they'd heard about the UCL one, if I'd ever do it again and if I could let them know. And they're all much, they're all too good for it now. They, they don't need one. But uh, it did sort of get me thinking. So I thought I'll do it. I found my notes and I like updated them and made sure they're a bit more in depth. And then I ran it as a three-hour workshop with a showcase in the evening. And the way that I, what I realized is that a lot of people want to give stand-up a go but especially in London with so many rooms they don't necessarily have the knowledge of where's a good place to start out also if you are good but nervous and your first gig is at a horrible open mic night that might stop you from trying again and you might be losing someone who's potentially very good based on the fact that they've had a horrible first experience. And I was lucky. I was in a, I, my first gig was for a competition, which is very similar to So You Think You're Funny called Raw Comedy. And it was, and it's a given that the people in those heats have never gigged before. So the audience are all expecting to see people who've never gigged before. So they're all really, really supportive. So I wanted to recreate that um, atmosphere. So we did a three-hour course where we sort of touched on the basics and things like really simple things like taking a microphone out of a stand and moving the stand and then putting it back, but talking while they did it. Just things like that because so there's so very few chances you get to play with a mic and a stand until you're actually on stage. Yeah. So, yeah, I just got people to come up and then a couple of times I wrap the cord around the stand because that's how it is sometimes mm. because the tech is a music tech and they don't realise that that's really annoying for stand-ups. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, just got them to kind of get used to that feeling so it was one less thing to worry about when they're actually performing because um, they know that they can handle that. They know that if they get awkward with the mic, it's not going to put them off their rhythm. Um, so things like that. And then, uh, yeah, and then we did the showcase and uh, it was an interesting one because the showcase, there was a mix of my friends who came along because I said, do you want to come and see my students of the day who have never performed before and they're all beautiful people who went yeah I've got a free night I'll come and be supportive and then I had some acts some other comics break up the night between them and they were trying out new material so it was still like a no pressure gig uh, and then we had a load of like tourists and stuff show up who who didn't know what the night was and I kind of said to them look this is a these are people who've never performed before um it's not like you cannot heckle it's like that was really strict with them and the people who stayed were gorgeous like just everything you wanted in an audience um and it was a really nice night so I might run a couple of more but it, it's more just um if if there's demand so there was a couple of people after that who said they'd be who some people some of the audience who accidentally came uh were then asking about it so if I have enough asking I'll put another one on but it's not um it's not I'm not looking to make money out of it 
you know, I'm not I'm not uh, looking to start running like Beck Hills comedy course university thing. Uh, it's but just if you more... do, can you call it that? That is a... yes. Yeah. yeah, I will. If I end up doing that, that's exactly what it'll be called. Um, that's it. when you'll know I would have given up. Yeah. <laughs> but if any, but if there were, if yeah, if ten people went, eventually said, "Oh, let me know when you've got one." I'd potentially put one on just for a bit of fun. Be a bit. It's more mentoring rather than than teaching. Yeah. And if you had one, well, I tell you, what, let's do it this way. Um, you seeing as you're not pro comedy course, do you have any books you'd recommend people read on either theory or? I have, uh, well, actually, we, stop, we spoke about one, but other than that one uh, earlier, and I'll say I'll mention it in a second. Uh, other than that one, I've not read any books on comedy whatsoever, right. um, at all. Um, the only book sort of similar to that is The Artist's Way, which we were discussing right. discussing earlier, which is quite the challenge. Um, I I highly recommend it for anyone who's got writer's block. Um, I only got to week four but I do plan on doing the full thing eventually. And I'm still glad I did to week four because it, it really unblocked me at a time when I needed it most. And that was right before I started writing last year's show, which was the one that was fairly successful. So Award winning. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say, um, I would say the artist way is a good one. Um, I've heard great things about comic toolbox. I've never read it. I think it might be on our shelf somewhere. Yeah. The comic co- toolbox by, Vorhaus. <laughs> but uh I've never read it, but I've I've been told by various people that it's very handy. Mm. Cool. Uh I was gonna say, do you wanna do you wanna give any last minute tips to anyone doing Edinburgh for maybe the first time? Um that you might not have already said. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um Don't drink so much. Spend a couple of time spend a couple of nights just on the water. You'll last longer. You'll have more interesting conversations that you'll remember the next day and you won't be as tired. You'll still have just as much fun. Um, yeah, that's that's my main tip. Get your vitamins. Genu- like, at any other point of the year, I would say it's all faff. But in Edinburgh, even if it's a placebo effect, it helps. So take all of the vitamins. Get, like, I don't know, try and have a banana once every couple of days. Like, you don't have to go nuts with the health stuff, but just... Bear in mind that if you if you wreck your body, if you burn out too early, then you're only doing yourself a disservice and your audience a disservice for the rest of the, the festival. So just look after yourself. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. No worries. That was Beck. She is so lovely. And I hope now you've listened to it, it makes sense why it has been titled the way it has been titled. Please do tweet me, hashtag Simon Shat, and include her in it as well as myself, if you would like to suggest which hat I should wear. My Twitter handle is at ThisMadeMeCool, and hers is BeckHillComedian, or BeChillComedian, as I misread it when I first started talking to her. All all hat suggestions are going to be taken phenomenally seriously. We're going to be having a little discussion in Edinburgh between myself and Beck, and we'll try and work out which hat I should wear. So please do take it seriously as well. Don't just send me random hats, but do send me the coolest hat you think would suit my face. Or just the coolest hat you can find.
go for it. Thank you very much for listening. I, I hope you got something out of that. She's, so, like I said, so upbeat and so happy and so lovely. If you didn't get it from that, just meet her at some point in the fringe or beforehand. Or, like I said, come to our preview on the 12th of July at 7.30 at the Dogstar Bar in Brixton. And you can meet both of us and you can watch both of our shows for free. Although mine is free at Edinburgh anyway. Um, but you can save on seeing hers. Uh, but it is worth it. So do still, you know, tell people so people go and see her show. I just think she has such a unique comedy style that it's amazing how she's had to work around the system that's over here in order to find an audience and find people that would enjoy what she does and only really play to them. And I think that's something we can all learn from because I think loads of us do this. I I did it for a while and I I really regret even thinking of it as a thing to do. I think I thought it because other people said it enough where people say, I want to be able to play any room. I want to be able to play every room. And you're like, why? (laughs) You're not going to need to play every room. It doesn't make any sense. You need to play sort of 50 to 70 rooms a year around the circuit that you know you'll do okay or well at and then outside of that find the other places that you can start progressing in as well outside of that it's all good i don't i don't understand it but i suppose uh we all learn and move forward with certain ideas we had previously if you want to see beck hill's show in edinburgh it's at the turret at the gilded balloon it's at 5 30 every day it's an hour long and i don't remember how much tickets are but it's called beck hill caught on tape however much it is it is worth every penny. She is amazing. If you want to come see my show, it's called Buddhism and Cats. It's at the Justatonic Caves and it's on at 7.30 every day. So you'd probably be able to go and see hers and then come straight to mine. If you wanted to, you could see like a back-to-back pod show extravaganza. Don't go to Calgate Head expecting to find my show. Go to Justatonic Caves to find my show because my listings is wrong because I lost my venue to PBH who did that whole thing which I'm not going to get into now so uh, if you can come and you can support me that'd be great because like I said I've lost out on a lot of marketing as a lot of other acts have and it would mean the world to me if you want to support me and bring down a couple of friends if you're at the fringe with them please come and see me if you don't want to support me that way then or you're not going up to Edinburgh please leave me a review on iTunes they really help and I'd love to get over 30 reviews on there if you don't if you've already done that or you want another way of supporting me share this link with someone you think will enjoy it or get something out of it if you think you've already done that with everyone just share it on your Facebook like just say to people that you think it was good or that you enjoyed it or something you enjoyed out of it and honestly there are surprising numbers of different people who enjoy this not just performers so do share it around do pass it on to people that you think might enjoy it, but also play people that you just don't aren't sure. You're like, well, maybe they'll like it, because they might. You don't know. And it will really help expand the audience. If you enjoyed this and you really want to support the podcast, please put a monetary value on it. It could be a pound a podcast, it could be five pound a podcast, whatever. But do send me that amount of money. All of it gets pumped back into the show. I'm sort of saving up at the moment to kind of try and do live shows, but I kind of need to get a bit more of a base of money going through at the moment to make this work. Um, if you want to help that happen, I'm trying to do that through Patreon. So if you sign up at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Ask the Industry Podcast, you can donate $1 or more per podcast and uh, you get loads of perks out of that. Like you'll be given the first um, ticket link for live shows and all kinds of stuff like that. But it means that I have a budget for those shows and it means I can work on the live stuff and you know, we, we can just grow as a community together. Also, join the Facebook group. I keep forgetting to plug that, uh, and it is 
important and exciting to have people in there because it's somewhere where I share blog posts and vlogs about things that I'm doing beyond this podcast but also I'm doing from stuff I've learned from the podcast that I've had with experts so if you want to learn what I did in Brighton for example to try and make my show I would say moderately successful like it achieved everything I wanted it to even though it wasn't exactly a financial success then you can have a look at that if you want to check out any other blog posts that I'm working on to do with the industry or to do with comedy, please do go and have a look inside the group because we're trying to have loads of industry discussions in there and share information between us. And as I said, grow as a community of people who really want this as a job, but also want to share information and work together to make our careers easier. So thank you very much for sharing. Thank you very much for listening and thank you very much for donating. I really appreciate all of those things. Uh, until next time, the next episode is with Peter from Downstairs at the King's Head. Uh, if you know that club, you will be aware that it is an amazing club. It's a historical club and it has uh, a legendary tryout night, which uh, you have to really be on the ball to get a gig at. You have to get up early and like ring him. And we talk about the historical elements of the club and how... It's evolved into what it is today and what it takes to get a spot there and why the route in variety is so important to him but also keeps bringing people coming back to the club. So I hope you look forward to that as much as I do. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 